title of my message, What I Value, I Do. It should come up. I think we've got it there on our overhead. What I Value, I Do. And I'll get to that a little bit later. So for the rest of our time, I want to examine 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 to 17. It's a personal pastoral letter written by the Apostle Paul. It's some of his last known words. By now, Paul is in imprisonment in Rome. And he's about to be martyred. So these are some of the last words that he records to a young pastor who was a dear friend of his called Timothy. This guy was really young. And Paul left him in charge of a very difficult church in Ephesus. So Paul writes him two pastoral letters, first and second Timothy, in order to encourage Timothy. So let's have a read of it. It should come up behind me as well. Maybe you can follow on your phones. It's a good excuse to open your Bible on your phone. So 2 Timothy 3.14. I'm reading from the NIV. And it says this. So Paul says to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from who you learned it, and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. Come on, turn to your neighbour and say it's useful. God's Word is useful. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So I want to bring to you four great values from this passage, four reasons why we should value God's word. But before I get into it, let's just bow our heads and pray. So Father God, I just thank you. I just thank you for your word. Father God, I just pray, uh, Lord, that as I preach, I just thank you, Lord, that your word is going to be living and active, Lord. Lord, that your word, you say, to you say to us, Lord, that your word never returns to you void, Lord. It's always going to achieve the purposes that you have for your word, Lord. So, Lord, we just open our hearts now to you. We yield our hearts to you, Lord. Lord, we just pray that every one of us will be challenged and changed by the word of God tonight. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Okay, let's get straight into it. Are you with me? Okay, we should value God's word firstly. Let's pop it up. We should value God's word because all scripture is God-breathed. It comes from 2 Timothy 3.16. Now, the phrase God-breathed is actually a really interesting term. It's a fascinating one. It comes from the Greek word theopneustos. And 2 Timothy 3.16 is the only verse in the entire Bible that uses this phrase. So when I hear Paul use a phrase that is used nowhere else in God's word, I don't know about you, but that just gets my curiosity going. I want to know what Paul is saying. So it's important that we understand what Paul's teaching here, and I think it's going to come up behind me. But what Paul is teaching here is not that Scripture is breathed into by God or is the product of God breathing into the human authors, but rather what Paul is saying is Scripture is literally breathed out by God, being the product of the creative breath of God. Now, straight away, if if the Word of God, Scripture, is being breathed out by God, it's emanating from his very being, and that tells me that it is thoroughly divine in totality, okay? In other words, Paul's teaching us that the entire Bible has a divine origin, and I'm going to get to it a bit later, but that makes the Bible so unique. It's inspired in totality by God. It's breathed out by God. 2 Timothy 1, 20 and 21 kind of taps into this a little bit, so let's have a read of it. In 2 Peter 1, 20, it says this, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For a prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the authors of the Bible, they did not write on their own, okay? They were inspired 
to write as the Holy Spirit worked in and through them. You know, to be honest, no one knows how this process of inspiration took place. There's been many people trying to figure it out. You know, one suggestion was that uh, God somehow put the authors of Scripture. So, you know, imagine the Apostle Paul. Some people say, oh, God probably put him into a trance-like state and then he just automatically wrote what God wanted him to do. I think we can dismiss that, okay? I'm convinced that when Paul sat to write or dictate a letter, say to Timothy, he believed he was doing just that. Paul was writing a letter. However, what we do know is when Paul and the other authors of Scripture were writing, they were so powerfully guided by the Holy Spirit that the words they wrote were exactly what God wanted written. Okay? The Bible is truly a unique book. It's breathed, it's God's breathed out word. What's more, because God was directing the very choice of words, I love that thought. God was directing the very choice of words that were written. This means that the Bible is without error. And it's of supreme value to humanity. It's of supreme value to you and I. In other words, God's word, I want you to hear this, God's word is all that God wanted it to be. I'm going to say that again. God's word is exactly all that he wanted it to be. Here's the point. It'll come up behind me. Because all scripture is God-breathed, you and I can have confidence that God's word will never mislead us. It will never, ever mislead you. It is a sure, a safe and reliable guide in all matters, Okay. Everything, every problem you come up with in your Christian walk, you should be opening God's word and looking for an answer because God's word will never mislead you. It is a safe and reliable guide in all matters, not just church matters, but secular matters, the day-to-day things of life, okay? It's wholly adequate and entirely trustworthy for its God-given purpose. In other words, we can trust God's word in every area of our lives, okay? It has great authority. It is truth, okay? The world will tell you there's no such thing as absolute truth. I say that's absolute nonsense because God's word is absolute truth. It's of supreme value to us. It's the sure and strong foundation for successful living. Now, I know I've emphasised this point, but there's a method to my madness. Let's come back to 2 Timothy 3.14 because sometimes we read scripture so quickly we can miss some really key words that we mustn't miss. 2 Timothy 3.14, Paul says this, He says to Timothy, but as for you, continue. Everyone say continue. Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, okay? Those two words are significant words in this verse. And we can go so quickly, we can skip over them and miss them completely. You know, I titled this message, What I Value, I Do. You know, this title is pointing to the truth that we invest time and energy in what we value. Who would agree with that? Come on, who watched the Eagles today? Who's an Eagles supporter? Who watched the Eagles? If you love the Eagles, what are you going to do? You invest time and energy into watching them. You know, if you value fishing, as I do, I find time to get out on my son's boat and I fish. Uh, Pastor Norm, I believe he's uh, watching right now online, uh, so big shout out to, to them. But, you know, he loves surfing, so he will invest time and energy into surfing. If you like sport, you'll invest time into that, or swimming, or walking, or you love the beach or gardening, you're going to invest time and energy In those pursuits, what I value, I do. If you value your spouse, you'll invest time and energy into your relationship. If you value your family, you'll invest time and energy into your relationship. So let's come back to 1 Timothy 3.14. Timothy had become convinced, okay? He'd become convinced about the value of God's word. And that same conviction meant that he would continue... Conviction leads to perseverance, okay? He would continue investing time and energy in a reading and abiding in God's word. Let's bring this back to us today. Because the sad truth is if, if you are not personally yet convinced 
that all scripture is God breathed. This book is like no other book on planet earth. It is completely unique. It is literally the productive breath. It's been, it's a product of the breath of God. It's divine in its origin. If you do not believe that, you're not likely to value God's word, let alone read it or obey it. You know, you and I, I've come to learn over my time in ministry that I need really, really deep faith convictions in my life because the things that I'm convinced of hold me through the tough times. Okay, If we get convinced about the value of God's word when we hit tough times, you know what? We're, gonna, we're not going to read it less. We're not going to put it aside. We're going to read it more. We're going to be looking for answers. We're going to be digging deeper in a God, and that's what we need to do. We must become convinced in our hearts that this, the Bible is no ordinary book. It's a book like no other. It's supremely valuable. It's a unique book, being truly divine, a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. It's God-breathed. It's the product of the creative breath of God. I've also heard it said, have you heard the acronym for the, for the word Bible? I know it's not, but it's, it's said, and it's very useful. It's basic instruction before leaving earth. Bible, basic instruction before leaving earth. So, you know, my first thing is, let's value God's word. Come on, let's read it and read it and read it some more. All right, you with me? Okay, we should value God's word, should come up because it makes us wise for salvation. Don't you love that? 2 Timothy 3.16. You know, the Bible is incredibly powerful and effective to save. You know, the Bible's main purpose is to point the reader to Jesus Christ in order that we be brought to faith in him by believing the good news of the gospel, believing that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, believing that he rose again three days later, defeating death. So he defeats sin, he defeats death, and we receive the free gift of eternal life by putting our faith in him. You know, the Bible is powerful and effective to save. I want to read a story. It's a true story that drives this truth home. It's about a guy called Dr. Doran Edwards. He's a physician, a surgeon in America. And he tells of a patient of his, of his. Her name was Blanche Bennett. And she had an alcoholic husband who had died. Her two children were giving her problems. Finances were tight and life was very hard. She also wasn't a Christian. One day she came to see Dr. Edwards with physical problems and he diagnosed cancer with multiple organs involved. No treatment was available and she was left very bitter. Dr. Edwards, who was a Christian and Gideon, wanted to talk to her about the Lord. He wanted to share his testimony and his faith, but she just point blank wouldn't allow it. However, what she did do was she accepted one of those little Gideon New Testament Bibles. Has anybody seen those? You may have got one at school. If you're as old as me, you got one at school, okay? Little red thing. And a few weeks later, um, the doctor learned that Blanche had died. So he sent a card to the family and uh, he told them that he'd donated Bibles in her memory to the Gideons. This chain of events led the woman's daughter eventually to call Dr. Edwards and she said this, Could you please send us a Bible like the ones you donated in memory of our mother? We don't have a Bible in our home. The last six days she was alive, her whole life changed. She was no longer bitter. She wasn't afraid to die. And she said something about knowing Jesus. But she asked that her Bible be buried in her hand and we couldn't keep it. Would you please send us a Bible so we can find out what mama found in that book? Dr. Edwards sent them a Bible and to date the daughter, the son and one sister have been saved as a result. That's what God's word does. Come on. You know, there's another story from the Alpha series. Who's done the Alpha Youth series? You may have heard this story. But there's a story, it tells the story of a guy called Earl Smith. He was so wealthy that he didn't have to work. And the story goes, instead, Earl started doing drugs, which progressed to such hard drugs that at the age of 30, 
He ends up in hospital with his life in an absolute mess. While Earl was recovering in hospital, he got a visitor who gave him a New Testament. Earl was really happy with this gift because he found that the paper was really good for rolling cigarettes. So he began to roll joints. And he actually said that he proceeded to smoke his way through Matthew, Mark and Luke. Okay, That's a lot of joints, all right? But when he got to John, something happened and he started to read it. He started to read God's word. And as a result of reading John's gospel, Earl gave his life to Jesus. Earl's life was never the same again. In fact, Earl shared his faith with his psychologist, who was also saved, and they got married. Okay, come on. That's what God's word does, all right? So watch out. All right. That's what the Bible does. It points us towards Jesus Christ, who is the divine logos. He's the divine word of God. Come on. You know, in fact, the, old, the entire Old Testament, I want you to hear this. The entire Old Testament looks forward to the most significant event in the history of humanity, which was the first coming of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. And the whole of the entire Testament re- reflects back on that same event. You know, the entire Bible is the story of the redemption of humanity through Jesus Christ. It is salvation history. It's not our story about God. Come on, it's God's story about us and our need of a saviour. In other words, the entire Bible Bible points us to its divine centre. It's Christocentric. It points us to Jesus Christ and it imparts godly wisdom to us in order that we be brought to faith in Jesus. So if you want to get someone saved, share the gospel with them, but give them the gift of God's word. Put it in their hands, okay? And offer to read it with them and explain it to them. You know, but it doesn't stop there because once we're saved, as we continue to read God's word, we study God's word, we meditate on God's word, it continues to point us to his divine center, Jesus Christ. It helps us, come on, it helps us to keep our eyes fixed on him who is the author. He's the author of your faith, come on, and he is the perfecter of your faith. So it keeps our eyes fixed on Jesus. Philippians 2.12, Paul encourages, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. God's word helps me to work out my salvation with fear and trembling because it constantly points me to its divine centre, Jesus Christ. It keeps my eyes fixed on him and not on myself. And uh, it transforms us to become more like Jesus. And that brings me to the third value. Let's have a look at it. It should come up. We should value God's word because it sanctifies us, 2 Timothy 3.16. Let's have a look at 2 Timothy 3.16 again. Because there's a purpose to scripture. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and it is useful. Come on, say to your neighbour, God's word is useful for... Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All right. You know, what Paul's teaching here is that once we come to faith in Jesus, God's word is useful. And that word useful, if you look it up in the Greek, it literally means that it is beneficial, profitable, and indispensable in teaching us how to successfully live this life of faith. You know, in particular, God's word is indispensable in teaching us truth. Okay, so when I get off track, and I start to go into error, which is the opposite of truth. God's word corrects me and it brings me back to truth. Come on. And it rebukes me when I sin. You know, when I get off track and I take, I'll go off on a tangent, okay? And I get in to find myself in sin, it corrects me. It brings me back onto right paths again, okay? It rebukes me. It draws me. It pulls me up short. God's word disciplines me. That's sometimes why we avoid God's word when we're doing the wrong thing. We don't want to be disciplined. We don't want to be rebuked. But come on, let's allow the rebuke in our lives. It corrects us on a right path again. And it trains me again in right and holy living, both inwardly and outwardly. It's so important because the truth is there is a trajectory to our faith, okay? Two words that we kind of hear about, 
uh, from theologians, the word justification, okay? From the moment I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I am justified. It's just as if I had never sinned. All my sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven, okay? How awesome is that? Come on. So it's just as if God looks at me and it's just as if I had never sinned because I'm covered with the blood of Jesus Christ. But then after I am justified, I start a lifelong process of sanctification. And the trajectory of that growth, that sanctification process, is supposed to be upwards, not flatlining and not going down, okay? So there should be this growth in holiness. Let's have a look at a definition. I'll pop it up. So sanctification is the growth in holiness, becoming more and more like Jesus, that should follow our salvation. And it's a lifelong process, okay? Because on this side of eternity, we're never going to get there, okay? Let's be honest. But we should be on this process of becoming more and more like Jesus, being set apart for Jesus, becoming more and more like him. 2 Timothy 3.16 teaches that God's word plays a major role in this growth in holiness. You know, this truth is also emphasised in John 17.17. It's Jesus' longest prayer where he is praying to his father. And Jesus is praying for his disciples and every disciple that will follow them. And he says this to his father. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So as we get the word of God into us, it changes us, okay? It transforms us. But what we need to understand, and this is really important, is the word by itself, this word by itself won't sanctify you. What you need is you need the word and the spirit together. And that brings me to another important thing about the Bible is it's not just inspired by God, but it's continued the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that inspired the authors to write this word continues to work through this word so it speaks to my heart personally today. This is the process that we call illumination, okay? And it means that God's word is absolutely living and active. Who's aware of that? Raise your hand if you're aware how living and active God's word is. That's good, okay? It's awesome. Hebrews 4.12 says this. Let's read it. It says, for the word of God is living and active. It's sharper. Come on, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Again, that's why sometimes we avoid the word when we're doing the wrong thing because we don't want to go there because we know that it's going to speak to us on a personal level and it's going to bring us up short. Hey, We need that. Put simply, the Bible is living and active because the same Holy Spirit who inspired God's word continues to work in and through the scriptures, causing God's word to live and penetrate and judge and speak to our hearts on a personal level. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm reading God's word and I can be reading a passage that I've read over and over again and suddenly it's just leaping out at me. It's just leaping out at me and it's speaking to me and it's ministering to me and transforming me. That's what God's word does. You know, it's useful in the whole process of sanctification because it goes to work in us, teaching us, rebuking us, correcting us, training us in righteousness. You know, make no mistake that the word and the spirit together are entirely effective in transforming us to be more like Jesus, and that is the goal. Here's some great quotes that tap into this truth. D.L. Moody said, The Bible wasn't given to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. Another guy said, other books were given for information, but the Bible was given for transformation. I love this quote. We don't read the Bible, the Bible reads us. Okay, don't you love that? I don't read the Bible, the Bible reads me. Come on, it goes to work. John MacArthur said this, a great Bible scholar. He said, I have found that my spiritual growth is directly proportionate to the amount of time and effort I put into the study of scripture. Ouch. Come on. 
My personal growth, my spiritual growth, is directly proportional to the amount of time he spends in scripture. Another quote, if you carry a Bible when you are young, it will carry you when you are old, okay? And it says the Bible that is falling apart. Come on, I want you to have a Bible like this one. It says the Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Don't you love that? All right, come on. Come on, it'll hold you. Before moving on, I just want to put some more flesh on this whole process of illumination, this sanctifying process. By being, um, can I get honest with you for a moment about one of my greatest struggles has been overcoming the fear of man, okay? I've had major issues with this over my life. And you know, what well, the problem is if you fear man, it leads to people pleasing, okay? And over the last two years, I think God got sick of me and he started to go, right, John, we've got to fix this problem. And he took me to Proverbs 29.25, okay? And Proverbs 29.25, I've looked it up in every known translation I can find. But in the NIV, it says, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but those who trust in the Lord will be kept safe. Say that again. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Now, I needed to hear this rebuke, okay? So God started to rebuke me over this fear. He said, John, got to get rid of this. And I needed to willingly receive his correction. And the result has been that God has been training me and transforming me in right thinking and right living. You know, what tends to happen now, and even before I came up on stage tonight, I had to stand in the wings and I had to say, I was quoting this verse to myself. Because it's quite a miracle that I'm standing here in front of you today. When I was at veterinary, at, uh, doing my veterinary degree, I had to speak in front of my peers on one occasion and I, I virtually could not do it, okay? So it's a miracle that I stand in front of people and speak, okay? Absolute miracle. That's what God does. So... You know, I was quoting that before I came up. Fear of man will prove to be a snare. God, I'm trusting in you. I'm trusting in you. So now when I find myself fearing man, which leads to people pleasing, and once you start pleasing people, it, it is a snare to you. It'll trap you because you'll end up doing stuff that you shouldn't be doing, okay? To try and please people. Try and get them to like you. And it's just crazy. It's a snare. So every time I'm tempted to do that now, this verse jumps into my mind and I'm reminded to place my trust in God and he promises to keep me safe. As you read different versions of that verse, some of them say you'll be safe, you'll be secure, you'll be highly exalted when you trust God. And that's what God's word does. It's living, it's active, it's invaluable in transforming us to be more like Jesus. All right, last value. You with me still? Okay, last one. We should value God's word because it thoroughly equips you and I. Let's read 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 in its entirety because there's a little word in there that we can miss. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know, that little word so is so important, okay? And it sums up the value of God's word for me. What Paul's teaching is that as we read and we study and we meditate upon God's word, we're going to be thoroughly equipped to do his good work. I love Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he planned in advance for us. So I love it that God, once I was saved, he had a good work for me to do and he planned it in advance. But what you'll find is that the Bible thoroughly equips us to do that good work which God planned in advance for us. How good's that? So when Paul says it will be thoroughly equipped by God's word, it literally means that believers will be complete, you'll be capable, you'll be proficient and able to meet all demands of discipleship. You'll be a person who is perfectly adapted for their God-given task. How good is that? I reckon we should give God a round of applause. Come on, that's so good. It is so good. 
You know, God doesn't call you in a ministry or ask you to serve or do something and then say, hey, you're doing it on your own. As you get into God's word, he equips you to do it. You know, this truth is taught again and again in scripture. Psalm 1, it was the first passage I ever memorized as a young boy. I think I was about seven and I was bribed. If you learn this passage at, at uh, Sunday school back then, okay, um, you'll get a block of chocolate. So I learned it. But Psalm 1 promises that the person who delights in and meditates on God's word day and night He says they'll be like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Can you hear what God's word does? As we internalise it, we meditate on it, we make it part of who we are, it speaks of fruitfulness and thriving and flourishing. It thoroughly equips us. John 15, 7 and 8, Jesus said this, if you remain in me, in other words, if you remain in relationship with me and also let my words, my word, God's word remain in you, He says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, much fruit, thoroughly equipped. Come on, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So make no mistake, God's word is of supreme kingdom value because it ensures that you and I are completely ready to meet every demand of discipleship. I love that. It it makes us ready and enables us to live fruitful lives. And that's great news. Before finishing, there's one more truth that I want to leave you with, okay? Earlier I mentioned how the old, entire Old Testament looks forward to the most important event in history, which was the first coming of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. And the entire New Testament reflects back on that wonderful event. In other words, as I mentioned earlier, the entire Bible points us to its divine centre. Jesus is the divine Logos, the Word of God. You know, Jesus Christ, so we, it points at, as at him continually so we may be brought to faith in him and so we can come to know him. And that's what the Bible does. It will continually point you to Jesus. In other words, knowing the Bible, come on, knowing the Bible is no end in itself. You know, there are theologians who can quote the entire New Testament in Greek and yet some of them don't have faith in Jesus Christ. You know, if you know the Bible and miss Jesus, you've missed the whole point of knowing the Bible. Can I say that again? If you know the Bible and you miss Jesus, you've missed the whole point. You know, we value and delight in God's word in order to seek Jesus with all of our hearts, to have a relationship with God, to know the divine centre of the Bible, Jesus Christ. And come on, the whole idea, the whole end of you reading your Bible is to fall deeper and deeper in love with Jesus. That's the goal of reading God's word. Come on. The undeniable truth is that we cannot, I want you to hear this, you cannot have a healthy, vital, abiding, fruitful, thriving and abundant relationship with Jesus Christ without the word of God. It's absolutely impossible. Think about it for a minute. If I didn't have the Bible, I wouldn't know about the original sin. I wouldn't know about the concept of sin and our fallenness. I'd have no concept of a need of a saviour and I would have no idea what Jesus was like because he's revealed to me in the word of God. So, How valuable is God's word? I want to leave you with that last thought. How valuable is God's word? Worship team, come back if they like. In finishing, there's an anonymous author penned this, and it kind of summarises really well all that I've said tonight. So I want to read this quote to you. It says this. It says, The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the fate of sinners and the happiness of believers. It is a a light to direct you, food to nourish you and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveller's roadmap, the pilot's compass and the soldier's weapon. It is a mine of incredible wealth and a river, river of genuine joy. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true and its decisions are immutable. 
Christ is its grand subject. Your good is designed and the glory of God its end. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe. Practice it to be spiritually healthy. Read it slowly, frequently and prayerfully. Let it fill your memory, rule your heart and guide your steps. It is given to you in life. It will be opened at the judgment and it will be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, will reward the greatest labour and it will judge those who trifle with its sacred contents. Maybe you just want to close your eyes for a minute. I want to read one last quote by Max Lucado. I don't mean to know if many of you have read about um, know of Max Lucado, but I love reading Max Lucado's stuff because he paints such beautiful pictures with words. And Max Lucado says this. He's talking about our Christian journey, and he says, You and I are on a great climb. The wall is high and the stakes are higher. You took your first step the day you confessed Christ as the Son of God, and he gave you his harness the Holy Spirit. In your hands, he placed a rope, which is the word of God. Your first steps were confident and strong, but with the journey came weariness and with the height came fear. You lost your footing. You lost your focus. You lost your grip and you fell. For a moment, which seemed like forever, you tumbled wildly out of control, out of self-control, disoriented, dislodged and falling. But then the rope tightened and the tumble ceased. You hung in the harness and found it to be strong. You grasped the rope, the word of God, and found it to be true. And though you can't see your God, you know him. You know he is strong. You know he's able to keep you from falling. I love that picture. I love that picture. You know, when we become, give our hearts to Jesus Christ, he, he gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit. It's like a harness in our life. He gives us the word of God to hang on to. And the two of them together such a strong foundation you know after the preaching of the word I believe it's really important that we respond to the word so you know maybe you'd just like to stand to your feet just for a moment if you'd like to respond you know I want to share a story this is a true story and um, Shafin didn't realise I was going to share this but when he was praying for me before he uh, mentioned about Jeremiah and Jeremiah if you read the story of Jeremiah, God places his word in Jeremiah's bones and it burned like fire so that Jeremiah couldn't contain it. And I'd read this in the Bible many years ago, probably about 18 years ago now, when we were known as Christian Family Church, a long way back. We had some prophets come to our church. And um, who gets excited when prophets come to the church? You know, I hope they've got a prophetic word for me. So, you know, um, these prophets were coming. And unbeknown to them, for quite some time, I'd been praying that God would set his word on fire in my bones so I couldn't contain it. And I've been praying this for probably a few weeks. And when these prophets came, I went forward to get prayer and this guy started praying for me and it just blew me away because he said to me, he said, John, you've been praying. He saw what I've been praying. God showed him. He said, John, you've been praying that God would set his word on fire in your bones so you can't contain it. He said, there's only one problem, John. He said, you've got to get God's word into you before he can set it on fire. And I went, ouch, ouch. And it was like this rebuke from God. And from that moment onwards, I started to passionately consume God's word, okay? I, I, had this, I got this hunger for God's word. And I, I, I went, wow, God, you know, like, I've got to get God's word into my life, okay? And I started to dig a well with God. I started to fill that word with, that well with God's word. I had this insatiable hunger for God's word. What I want to say tonight is, um, I'd love to pray for you 
for a divine hunger and insatiable hunger and passion for God's word. So if that's you tonight, maybe you just want to raise your hand for me. Come on. If you want a greater hunger for God's word, I actually believe when, you know, when someone comes and they carry a passion in their heart for something, I believe that God will leave an impartation of that passion, okay? So if that's you, can you open your heart tonight? Come on. I'm going to open up my own hands and heart because I just want a greater hunger for God's word. And I'm going to pray for you. So, Father God, I just thank you. Father, I just thank you for your word. I just thank you, Father, that your word is a word like no other, Father. Father, I just thank you for the truth that whatever we value, Father, we're going to do, Father. We're going to invest time and energy into doing those things that we actually value, Lord. So, Lord, I just pray for every person here tonight, Father. Father, you'll go to work in their heart right now, Father. Father, you'll give them an absolute faith conviction about the value of God's word. Father, I just pray for every person here, Father, they'll have a hunger for God's word. They'll have a passion for God's word. They'll be zealous for the word of God. Lord, you'll give them an insatiable hunger for your word, Lord. And Lord, we just we don't want to read your word just for um, Lord, just for knowledge and understanding, Lord, but we want to read your word, Lord Jesus, so we can come to know you more. Lord, to know you more, to love you more, to love you more deeply, to follow you more closely, Lord. So, Lord, I just pray for that impartation of your Holy Spirit in every person's life. And God, all God's people said, Amen.